Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Lost Talk Radio. Twenty-two men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score which will bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History and its Memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network in conjunction with Slick Enterprises. And we're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. And we're sponsored by MSB Sports Cards. Please check out their website for a large variety of football cards, and memorabilia at msbsportscards.com. And we're also sponsored by BSD Auctions. Check out their website for bsdauctions.com. It is at this time I would like to introduce my co-host. He is a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Barger. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Joe Squires. Joe, welcome to the show. Bob Swick, Captain. How are you, sir? Good morning. I'm good. I'm good. And and due to the, the wonders of broadcasting, we are broadcasting on a uh, Saturday here in Connecticut, which is noontime, but it's 9 a.m. your time in Portland, and I do believe is. you're at a charity event, and if you want to give us uh, a quick uh, <laughs> promo on that charity event, we'll be glad to take it here. These, uh, our, our, uh, our podcasts are, are very cheeky and down-known. That's what I love about them. Uh, yeah, our guest today is uh, a reverend, and he had some sermons he was doing on Sunday, and uh, I signed up for a Beat Cancer Charity 5K walk. My family, some friends, and my entire – I own an electoral company, for those who don't know. And so there's about 20 of us that are doing this 5K walk. Couldn't move that, and uh, as it turns out, we couldn't move when the reverend was speaking. So here I am. I'm going to be walking and talking, and every, everybody in my group kind of laughed. They're like, wait a minute, you do a podcast? I'm like, yeah, oddly enough, with a guy in Connecticut. <laughs> it is a uh, unique time for the podcast today as we are doing a multiple, uh, what's a good way of putting it? We're trying to help a charitable organization across the country, and we're also trying to get some information uh, for football memorabilia history. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Indeed. So, Joe, we haven't, we haven't talked in a couple of weeks, but a um, lot going on in the football world. And just yep. to give a little, little background on what we're going to talk about today, uh, I and, and those people who know me and know my collection realize that I am very much big on oddball football cards. Yep. And oddball football cards to me are uh, a, a unique part of our hobby and something that's very, very interesting to me. Something I took a great liking to back in the early 80s, finding inserts and so on and so forth. So we're going to talk today about what's the oddest, oddest, Oddball football cards <laughs> that we've collected, if any. And, 
And I'll and I don't, I'll lead it off with you, and I'm going to give I'm going to give some background after you, after you go. Perfect. And I I try not to call them oddball. Uh, I call them esoteric uh, because it make, makes me sound a little smarter. Uh, and, and, and oddball kind of means. I don't know. Who knows? But, you know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, the latest gridiron, you know, the past gridiron that just went out. Sorry, some people are excited to start to walk. Uh, the past gridiron that went out, I started, uh, you know, a, a uh, you know, an article that said, oh, the, right. oh the, the things we collect. And in there, I started, you know, the self-realization that, uh, you know, we've got, we, we all collect some weird stuff. And however we come across it, I mean, my, my uh, charter, you know, article was on the, uh, uh, was on the, you know, yellow set, which is about as odd as they come. Uh, so, yeah, we all have some oddball things in our, in our collection, esoteric, uh, as we say. But, uh, it, I, it, you, brought this, you brought this topic up, and I started searching through my set, started searching through my memory. I'm like, wow. It's, I mean, I, I may consider them oddball or esoteric, but they're actually kind of mainstream. I mean, and the oddest oddball one that I could come up with was – like a 26 shot well, you know, most of my collection revolves around Red Grange or Jim Thorpe. So the 26 shot well was an odd one. Uh, I mean, you know, I have a couple of weird postcard sets from the Pottsville Maroons uh, that are team pictures that were turned into postcards. I, I, I used to collect a 51 tops magic set. I would consider that an oddball set, but you know, uh, yeah, it's, there's, there's oddball, there's esoteric, and then there's just fun things that are kind of mainstream. You know, it's it's kind of interesting. Well, it's interesting too. You wrote an article uh, a few years back on uh, NFL pencils, which is definitely oddball to collect, and a lot of people do collect that set. And I was always big on stickers over the years, and I know we talked yeah. a little bit about the sticker sets and the like. And I can totally. think back to 1981. There was Tops introduced what was called a red border sticker, in which he yep. put money into a little machine, uh, you know, like the candy machines that were at discount stores and supermarkets and the like, and he got one sticker for a quarter. And that has become a, a very much a, a set in demand a set. with yeah. regards to uh, completing and collecting. And I know I, I collected it's a beautiful set back at Finisher. And, uh, you know, again, that's, that's pretty oddball. But, I, again, going through yeah. my sets and trying to figure out what was the most oddball is and it's uh, a beautiful a set. set. I, I, I love that set. set. The red set. It is, and it has basically all stars in it, too. So that's, that's what makes it very interesting also. So in 1979, Icy, which is a drink, frozen drink, had a disc set. Um, which was uh, issued in which we still don't even know. I don't have a, a good checklist on it. I know there's at least 14 different cards to it. I got seven of them. And I, I'm shocked at looking at I looked over the past couple of days to actually see what the, some of the prices were going for. And the discs are like $50 each. I don't know who in their right mind is going to spend the $50 for it, but they are. Oh, jeez. And, they, and they're buying it. And... Um, it has a few stars in it. It's a pretty interesting set. So that's pretty What's awful. the story behind that? Was that a lid to a? Was that a lid? Yeah, basically. It? it basically, yeah, for icy drinks. Uh, apparently, <laughs> the the disc, which is not even a round disc, it's like a little tab at the end of it. I got one in front of me to try to describe it. The red printing <laughs> with the player player photo in the middle with the, the team name, and on the back of them they have uh, just a little. Ad for icy uh, drinks where it says the original frozen carbonated beverage. These were Michael Schechter Associates discs, uh, uh, which was sanctioned by the NFLPA Players Association. So hmm. I have a, hand, a handful of my collection Ricky Young from the Vikings, Johnny Gray from the Packers, Mike McCoy from the Packers, Mike Cooks from the Bears, I got uh, Gary Fennick from the Bears. And so Tony many of these the sets Chiefs. start with us. Like you talked about the 81 Red Border. So many of these sets for me started with me collecting a team set or a, or a player set. And I was introduced right. to the 81 Red Border, you know, because I had to have a Largent card, you know, for my master set. I found it, uh, but it came with a bunch of Seahawk players. Next thing you know, I'm collecting that. That's one set that I actually collect. And uh, always odd enough is 
you take half this stuff we collect, and it's, it's trash in the eyes of the manufacturer. The lid, mm-hmm. you know, to an ice cream cone, the back of a milk carton, uh, wrappers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we now collect wrappers and display boxes. And, you know, that was, mm-hmm. that, all that stuff was intended to be thrown away. It's trash. And uh, here we are, you know, 80 years later collecting these things. And I, I just, I, I, you have to love that facet of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's highly, it's highly, to me, it's just, it's a lot of fun to collect because besides being so difficult to find, when you do find it, it's just, to me, it's such a good feeling to, to find one of those. Uh, it's just amazing. And again, I look back and when I got these IT discs, they were about, it was about six or seven years ago, I won a lot of stuff at an auction and they were included in the lot. And um, I had not seen uh-huh. this, and I, I, I really never knew anything about it. And I, I started checking my Beckett book, and I, and I started doing some online research. And I saw basically there was only a handful of advertisements for sale, no checklist for it whatsoever. So I thought it was pretty interesting to try to, try to see and, you know, what well, or how many cards are actually in the set. Think of the Dixie lids, the 1938 Dixie lids with right, small and yeah. large for ice cream cups. I mean, it's, those are trash, and now they're $500 collectibles. I just, yeah. I, I'll keep remembering these and going. Yeah. Well, another good you example, know? in the 60s, the uh, Fairmont Dairy had a bunch of yeah. uh, photos of Kansas exactly City players on the box. Yep. And exactly. I mean, how many? How many actually survived? Not that many. And uh, I know on many, many advanced collectors' want lists, they're looking for those cards. And I, I, yep. I have yep. one in my collection, and that's it. And to me, it's well, a type. If you take type, if you type, if you take the root of this, take the root of this. Any cut plug card, uh, or tobacco card, a tea card, uh, you know, take the mayo card. Did they intend for those to be collectible, or I mean, really, yep. what they're doing is jamming a jamming a football card into a you know into a pound of tobacco to get people to buy the tobacco uh right you know were they were they intending for those to be collectible or were they just looking to you know have people go oh interesting and then throw it in the trash uh you know who knows but you know fast forward 100 100 plus years t206 mayo all these sets i mean they're 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 fillers Mm -hmm. it's just it's just amazing to me and then the other big phenomena of oddball collecting something i got in very very early uh, were police sets of the early 1980s, and uh, wow. these were given basically given away by police departments to try to get kids to you know associate better behavior, good behavior, uh, anti drug yeah. behavior with um, you know the players and the like, and that became almost Correct, like yeah. a cult like following, uh, especially in the mid 80s when they were at the height of their popularity. And I'll also point out the only team that still does the police sets that I know of in this day is the Packers. They have the longest running uh, series of police sets. They started in 1983, and they're still going mm-hmm. strong in 2016. So it's pretty interesting. And I know your Seahawks had quite a few. See, it's uh, 79. It starts with 79. Yep. yep. That 1979 is our first police set. Yeah. Yep. I have the Steve Largent. I, well, I have all of them because I've collected. A lot of times it's easier to fill that in, you know, fill that blank in by buying the whole set. So, yeah, 79 up and, through 89, I believe. Yep, yep. And uh, to me, a lot of player collectors like yourself with other teams also, they'll buy the whole uh-huh. set, just pull, pull that player out, and basically either towards, toss the other cards away <laughs> and or, the, you know, that just give, up, give the other cards away. So I see so many split police sets over the years. It's, it's, it's amazing. I know I got a bunch of them that are broken up that people want totally. certain cards out of and so on and so forth. And totally. uh, I, I, very interesting to me. Or college players collectors who collect only college players, they only will, uh, they possibly will yep. find a college uh, player from their college in that police set, so they want that one card, yep. and it's a common you might not and so forth. Yeah. yeah. And you might not, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of this, because you're obviously the captain of, of football, the ambassador of football lore, but in 1976, the Seattle Seahawks had a a team set come out, and it's called the Fred Meyer set. Fred Meyer's a local yep. grocery store here yep. in the Northwest, and they're large. Yep. They're uh, you know size of a cabinet card, black bordered. They're beautiful, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who are like you know the, the Fred Meyer set came out before the '77 rookie set. So you know yep. so for example, Steve Largent's card, rookie card, could actually be considered 
the 76, you know, 76 Fred Meyer store issue. And, uh, we're, you know, a decade ago, I got into collecting those. I actually, you know, here's a fun story. I completed my 76 Fred Meyer Seahawks set when I ran into Mike Blaisdell at a, uh, at a show up in the, the, the Seattle Tacoma area. He was set up well, there. I walked by. I'm like, ah, Seahawks set. You know, we started talking and I'm like, uh, do you have any of this? And you know, everything I threw out, Mike knew more of than me. Finally, I'm like, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know, Inigo Montoya. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a, uh, no, it's, and that's how I met Mike is he wrapped, he wrapped up my 76 Seahawks set. Wow. Well, and I'll tell you, that's, that's a tough stuff because I, I've never seen any here on the East Coast. And the other thing that you have, uh, the other Seahawks oddball set that's very difficult is the Mally's chip set, um, yes. which I don't see much of out here. I think I got one of those as a, as a I won in the auction as a type card or whatever, and, and that's and, about it. So. And I love that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not a set. Those are on the back of potato chip boxes. And okay. right. I can remember being a kid. I can remember being a kid. And absolutely loving these chips. We bought those chips just for those. And I would cut them out and I would thumbtack them to my wall. They're beautiful. And, you know, yep. much of why we collect is nostalgia. And I can remember, you know, you know, 10, 15 years ago coming across one of those. I'm like, oh, my gosh. It took me back to being, you know, 10 years old and thumbtacking, you know, the back of, you know, chip boxes up on my wall. Yep. It's yep. amazing. Yep. It is pencils to me. Uh, that's the beauty of eyeball football collecting. I always said to uh, a couple people, and a, and a few people know what I'm going to say now, with regards to eyeball football. I would have less problem selling my run-up cards from 48 up than I do selling my oddball stuff. And I have sold some of my eyeball stuff over the years yeah. because people really pressed me. They really needed it. They needed one card to finish a set, and I, and I always said, you know, I'll always do that, and I'll look, I'll look again for the cards, so on and so forth. But it's just truly amazing. The, you know, oddball collectors for football are unique, and they're, uh, they're not a dying breed, in my opinion, because there's still yep. a great deal totally. of demand for oddball football cards. And I think well, that it's just, always going to be that way. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you just get exposed yeah. to it. I mean, take, you know, take the, you know, take the, uh, you know, the, you know, take take that. Uh, uh, whoops, hang on, dog almost hit me. Uh, you know, the Pottsville Maroon postcard set, or the. You know, I I was introduced to that by Andy Becker, and I'll I'll never forget. You know, five six years ago, I'm sitting in my car, uh, and Andy called me, and he was saying that he had these, he'd never seen them. When a guy like Andy Becker says, "I've never seen these," you're like, "All right, you have my attention." He starts describing mm-hmm. them, and I'm like, "Man," and he's like, "These are the oddball, the oddest of the oddball." The, they uh-huh. were the SO and esoteric. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, exactly. And, and how how I'm introduced to some of these oddball sets, finding them. I mean, I'm looking for Steve Large and Card. I come across a Red Border. I come across a Fred Meyer set. I come across an Alley's box, or you know, I have an advanced collector like you know Becker, Span. I mean, you know, Carl, you, uh, you know, obviously you, you know, call me and uh-huh. you know, hey, hey, check this out. And you're like, wow, never seen that. That's awesome. Uh, I, I mentioned pencils a minute ago. I'll never forget, you know, probably eight, nine years ago, I'm thumbing through eBay and I come across a pencil. And again, suddenly uh-huh. tripping down memory lane, being on the school bus, trading pencils. Uh, and next thing you know, I'm just, I'm collecting them. It's a weekly eBay search still for me. Uh, uh-huh. You know, the striped ones, this, I wrote an article, I think four years ago, Gridiron Graphite. My, my wife, my uh-huh. wife stayed uh-huh. up with that uh-huh. title. We were coming back from a Seahawk game. I think the Seahawk game, where the Seahawks beat the Packers, you know, late, late on a, you know, touchdown reception at the back of the end zone. Yeah, yeah. But I digress. Uh, but, yeah, I just remember where I was telling you about the article. We were describing it, and, uh, and you know, and I was com- trying to come up with a fun title, and she came up with, uh, you know, Gridiron Graphite. So, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. one of my favorite titles. <laughs> so, a play on Gridiron well, Graphite, obviously. So. <laughs> oddball, oddball football is alive and well. And, uh, again, I, I – I continue to say that there's still a lot more to be discovered in oddball football. And anything that we find, we'll share with our greater and great listeners in, in the magazine. At this time, I believe our guest is ready. Our guest today is a football historian. He's dealing with the early professional game of football, in particular his father, Mr. Half Moran. 
He has developed a website, capmoran.org, to tell this amazing story. Our guest was a previous guest on our on our uh, podcast back in February 8, 2012. I'd like to introduce today the Reverend Mike Moran, the collector and son of New York Giants legend, Hap Moran. Mike, welcome to the show today. 2012? That, that, how time flies. <laughs> Five years ago. Five years. I had more dark hair on my head than I do now. Yeah, you <laughs> Five <know>. years ago. <laughs> And Mike, welcome to Rev, the show. Uh, Rev, if you don't mind, I'm the one who asked Bob to bring you back on, you know, the show. So, uh, you, you know, sorry to disrupt your weekends, but uh, I'm, uh, you know, obviously a huge <laughs> fan of your of your collection, everything you do for the hobby. Uh, I'll probably say this about four times throughout the show today, but uh, we all, we all, you know, are kind of living, you know, in, in football legend. You, you and your family are football legend, so. Yeah, just him. Thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> He's the only legend here. He's my father. Well, think Mike, about everything uh, that you do for the hobby. Think about everything that you do for the hobby. I mean, just you, 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 you have more you have more knowledge about football history than in your pinky than I do. So <laughs> it's amazing, Thank truly you. amazing information. Mike, let's start off by uh, if you could tell our listeners about your father, Half Marion. Uh, yeah, so, you know, my father was uh, from a family that was very early settlers in Iowa, and by the time he came around, he was born in 1901, they were in the railroad business, and his father was killed in a rail yard accident when he was in 1907, so my father, all you know, as soon as he was old enough, he went to work in the railroads, and summer, he would... Uh, spend the entire summer traveling the, the, the rails, fixing uh, damaged track. So uh, sledgehammers, steel, stone, you know, hauling, lifting, swinging. This was his, this was his uh, summer. So he was pretty strong by the time he got to high school. And uh, so they had a football team in Boone where he, grew, where he went to high school. But basically, he was a basketball player. He was um, captain of the uh, Iowa All-State basketball team. His team went to, uh, it, you know, in those days, the college coaches weren't allowed to recruit. So uh, uh-huh. Amos Alonzo Amos Stagg had the uh, idea. He put up a, uh, a national intercollegiate basketball tournament at the University of Chicago and get all these athletes to come to him. So he, my father went there, played in that tournament. He was named an All-American in basketball. So then he went to Grinnell College in Iowa for a year and uh, then got recruited by Carnegie Tech, uh, which is now Carnegie Mellon, which was really a, a football force in those days and played one season there. The interesting thing about that season was they played Notre Dame and the 1922 Carnegie Notre Dame game was uh, the first time the four horsemen ever lined up together in the backfield wow. for Notre Dame. Wow. So then, then against, went to, against your dad. Well, my father was in the backfield for Carnegie, yeah. Yeah, for Carnegie, against, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so then he, he, went back, he went back to Grinnell, and when he graduated from Grinnell, he got recruited by the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. So he played there in 1926. <laughs> And they won the NFL championship that year. And then he played there a few games in 1927 and um, got recruited by the Chicago Cardinals. So he went to Chicago. And uh, the reason he got recruited was, you know, Guy Chamberlain had been the coach of Frankfurt in 1926 when they won. And then Chamberlain went to the Cardinals. For some unknown reason, he was dismissed after winning the championship as coach. Then he, uh, so 28, he played for Pottsville. And at the end of that season, Pottsville ended kind of early, and the Giants picked him up. There was a big star from Yale named Bruce Caldwell, who proved to be a a dud in the pros. I maybe I shouldn't say that if if his family's listening, but... uh, Anyway, he was let go by the Giants, and they 
picked my father up to take his place for the last game of the season, and then he stayed with wow. the Giants through 1933. Then in 34, he, he played a little for the Patterson Panthers, and I don't know what happened in 35, but in 36, he coached the Patterson Panthers, and they won the uh, American Association wow. Championship. Then he married my mother, and his football days came to a screeching halt. <laughs> he actually coached, he coached youth football in uh, Sunnyside, Queens, through World War II until the war broke out. And, and most my life growing up, I was born in 47, he was um, an executive with the, uh, Western Electric and worked in a, you know, da- lower Manhattan on Broadway. And uh, so that's really how I, what I, my experience of my father was as a businessman, getting and putting on his suit every morning, taking his daily news and getting on the subway. Wow. At what point did you discover, like, wait a minute, my dad is a, is, is a football star. I mean, you know. You know I, I discovered it part- when a kid in, in Cub Scouts told me. I, I didn't know. It. Like, you're, is your dad uh, Hat Moran? I was like, it was like, uh, oh yeah, but he played for the Giants. I said, what? Yeah, you never. It was, there was the only thing in our house that related to football was a picture of him, a drawing from when he'd been the coach of the youth team in uh, oh. in the park next to our apartment building, Sunnyside Park, and uh, so yeah, I I I didn't know that he played professional football until uh, somebody told me. I must have been like, well, how old are you in Cub Scouts? Eight? Ten? Seven? Ten or so? Yeah. Seven or eight, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. That's Where did he keep most of his memorabilia? Where did he keep most of his memorabilia? Uh, he didn't have much memorabilia. He had, he had his grandma, my grandmother, his mother kept two scrapbooks. And what he had uh, was in a, uh, the drawer with his socks. <laughs> he really wow. didn't have very much. He had very, very little. Wow. Wow. Well, Rev, we talk about, you know, we, we have guests on here. We, we tend to ask them what their favorite items in their collection is. I mean, and for you, there's, you know, there's items in the collection that are, you know, you know, that you collect because they're awesome. And then there's items that are nostalgic. I've been lucky enough to see quite a few of the items in your collection and just how, amazing and how part of football they are. I, I, it's probably hard to whittle it down to a top three, four, five favorites, but uh, if you could, I mean, mostly this is just a list of some cool things in your collection. I'd, I'd love to hear it. Well, the thing that got me started was the 1933 Diamond Matchbook. So I didn't oh, have one. I have yeah. a brother who's seven years older than me, and he had it. And, I, and uh, when my father died, he brought it up to the funeral. And I said, Mark, where, where'd you get that? And he said, oh, dad gave it to me. And I thought, oh, oh my okay, gosh. now I got to get one of these. And uh, this was <laughs> 1990. He, uh, the funeral, he died in 94, the fu- last day of the year in 95. So, you know, I went online because, you know, online was just starting in 95, right? And yeah, I yeah, started yeah, yeah. looking around or whatever you did then. There were, I don't even think Google was there. You, uh, and I ran across a um, matchbook collectors club called the Rath Camp Match Collectors Society. <laughs> and I just got email addresses and wrote to these guys. And two of them said, we have it. And they sent it to me free. Oh, they wow. said, just, just join the club. They were having some kind of contest. Whoever got the most new members won a prize. And, uh, well, so also, the match I, I hate to say it. If, if somebody reached out to me and said my dad was half Moran, do you have an extra matchbook? I mean, it's a privilege to hand that person a matchbook. I, I, I wish more people felt that way. <laughs> you know, the you second, know, that, you know, in, so the matchbooks is one thing. And the second area kind of is photographs. Uh, I, we did have a photograph, yeah. a PR photograph of my father from the Giants, but it's been it's it's been really fun that when you know as you know these newspapers have been dumping their archives, and they have been um, uh, you know they've been selling thousands of these things uh, online. And so getting some, uh, some of those photographs, one in particular that I really liked was uh, the night before Steve Owens' last game 
as coach of the Giants, he uh, he was on television, and it showed up on the, I think it was eBay, a, a picture of my father with Steve Owen in the studio that oh, night. Wow. And Steve Owen is there holding the ball game, the game ball from the from the sneakers game. And the, the funny thing about it was the photographer must have been on his knees because he's looking up at my father wow. and Steve Owen. And that would have been the exact angle that I, as a seven-year-old at that time, would have been looking up at them. And I remember meeting Steve Owen, too, at that time. Wow. And so that photograph just was, like, perfect. Um, the, other, the other thing is programs. You know, I, uh, my father's picture was on two, two Giants home game programs, one wow. in 1931 against the Green Bay Packers and the other <laughs> – in 1932 against the uh, Boston Braves, so fine. Those were those are great. And uh, did, and then did, I, uh, did the Giants win that game against the Pack? Yes. Oh no, the 30, <laughs> they won the 31 game, which is when he set the record for the longest run from scrimmage. I don't think they won the wow. 32 game. Yep. Oh, wow. And the um, and then I was on a hunt for the 1933 Bears Giants championship game program which is incredibly rare and uh so i finally found one of those and then he got a watch as a uh, commemorative gift for winning the nfl championship in 1926 yeah that's an item and the last thing which i never even knew was out there was um i have a signed football from the 1930 game where the notre dame all-stars played wow the New York Giants, and so it's got my father on it, and all the Giants, Tim Mara, Newt Rockney, Four Horsemen. It's a, it's a crazy thing. It's unbelievable, really. Your your office Those could be a the, wing at uh, at Canton. <laughs> yeah. You know, Mike. Mike, getting back to one thing you said. Um, you know, the fellow from the Matchbook Club gave you the Matchbook uh, for free. I know over the years I've had uh, letters written to me from, like, former players, and these are guys from, like, the 60s and 70s. They're looking for their cards, blah, blah, blah. I would never think of charging them for their card. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to me, it was so insignificant. I mean, even though it was a $2 card, what's the difference? Just, you know, I mail it to them. <laughs> and, I, and I used to provide a guy who used to play for the Giants. His name was Dan Boych. Uh, he lived in Vegas. And he, he out of the blue, he wrote to me in the 80s, and he was looking for all of his cards. So I would be on a search for him. I would I'd try to find him. I would send them out to him. I said, well, just send me an autograph. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, don't worry about it type of thing. But you're right. It should be an honor for a lot of dealers to present Without to a doubt. family, such as you, you know, of a family member's playing days. I think that, that etiquette should be reintroduced from the hobby. Unfortunately, yeah. it's well, not. But, uh Look Look at what Rev just said, where he said, I wish more people thought about it like that. You know, then here here we all are. I mean, that should be the staple. I mean, it's just, and I think that's that's healthy to the hobby. You know, to, I mean, we Bob and I have talked about it before. There's just certain people who contribute to the hobby and, and pass the baton and keep the thing going. Uh, right. And, you know, I would consider handing cards off like that to be an honor, like you said. Yeah, I my favorite thing, you know, I, uh, in co- one of my favorite things in collecting, and because I have a, the website, is when I'm contacted by family of people like um, of an ex player. Uh, oh, one guy that contacted me was uh, U Shorty Ray's grandson, and I had a whole bunch of U <laughs> Shorty Ray stuff because I was on a kick to try and get you know Hall of Fame autographs, and I had bought like. 18 copies of the yearbooks where he was a high school teacher from some vocational school in uh, Chicago. I think I've signed one of them. And eventually I just gave up. And sometimes, you know, you want everything. And when you can't get that last thing, I give up and I just send it all off. So I sent him everything. And uh, another uh, guy that contacted me was um, a guy named Dale Andrew, whose grandfather so father, grandfather was Andy Andrews, who was my father's coach on the Giants in 1929. Wow. And uh, 
he had played on the Great Lakes Naval Training Station team. Wow. George Hallis, Jimmy Konzelman, yeah. Patty Driscoll. So I got on a kick and was collecting the magazines from the Great Lakes Naval Training Station, you know, and giving him stuff. And recently, most recently, uh, the grandson of Dr. Harry March and I have been in close contact. And he actually didn't have a signed copy of, you know, the book Pro Football, It's Ups and Downs by Harry March. And I had a copy signed by March with a letter from this kid's grandmother in there. So oh, wow. I was I was able to get you know that that is very satisfying and when you can help a family member that would bring me to tears to have somebody achieve give me, a goal yeah yeah to, to give me a, a a letter from my grandmother to my grandfather wow that's incredible that's amazing truly amazing hey Mike what's the most difficult item you found from your father uh, of your father's while you you've been collecting. You know, one of the hardest things was uh, uh, his autograph when he was playing. Huh. Wow. And um, you talked earlier about things that were meant to be thrown away uh, in the oddball <clears throat> card, like uh, the caps of things and whatever, the wrappers. Um, I first got something that he had signed. It was a dumpster dive. Not me, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was it was somebody was cleaning out the uh, house of a, a a woman the widow of a guy named Charles Chaplin, not the actor but a guy who had worked in the okay. front office of the Giants in the 30s and was um, also part owner of the Detroit Lions at one point, uh, and there were all these snapshots and. They, I ended up with them, and on the back, I don't, I don't know if the person sold them, noticed it, but every player signed them. So wow. there was like four in there with my father having like signed the back from 1932. Were they, were they like advertising then, pieces? or? Hmm? Were they like intended to be advertising pieces, team photos? No, I think they were just, they, they look very informal. I mean, there's wow. one of my father and Bill Owen, Steve Owen's brother, like in, in sweatpants, you know, with their, they're just <laughs> informal pictures. Somebody took their snapshot size. I think this guy, Chaplin, was also did PR, and some of the pictures that were in the set were looked formal, like they were for um, publication, and I've seen them other places, but uh, some of them were just informal shots. And uh, so that was that was great. And, uh, you know, funny story about Chaplin. He got arrested along with um, one of the uh, one of uh, Tim Mara or uh, the older Tim Mara's nieces, because uh, a couple of federal agents went up to the Giants office to buy tickets for the 1938 championship game with Green Bay. I think 38 or yeah. And uh, they didn't give him the right change, and they charged him with. Uh, so they gave him a twenty-dollar bill, and they didn't give him the right change, and they charged him with kiting the prices to avoid paying the federal tax on it. So it was a matter of like oh dollar fifty. And the case actually, the Giants fought it, and the case actually went to court. It was crazy. I mean, you know, you wow. imagine buying two championship tickets for twenty dollars and getting change. Slow, slow wow. day at the uh, at the at the yeah, slow day. <laughs> yeah. And then I found the, that 1933 championship program is is very rare for some reason. I don't. I, and that that was another long, torturous trip. And when I the one I found was autographed by all the giants. I think it came from the. Um, I was told that it came from the estate of. Um, let me see. I got it down here somewhere. Uh, I think it was Moose Krause, Ed Krause. And uh, it, it, uh, so it had been in the possession of a player's family for many, many years, and then it just came out, and it's in perfect shape. And the nice thing wow. about it was my father, dad's signature was in a very sweet spot right in the middle on the front. Cool. Those, those oh. were the, those, those, that kind of stuff. That was very difficult. 
Wow, wow. Hey, Rev, a lot of we, we we like asking guests about you know stories, you know from their from their collecting days. You know, and, uh, the joke that I use is chasing down Steve Large in an airport, you know, gangway to get his <laughs> autograph, uh, which never happened, but it sure it sure sounds funny and actually sounds plausible when you you know when you know me. Uh, but uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, you are part of you know living football history. Uh, you know, and as the show was going on, I was like, man, Hall of Fame, the, you know, the, you know, the, you know, inaugural Hall of Fame class would have happened when you were probably 20, 21. I mean, did your dad go to, you, you've got to have some amazing stories that are just in, in, entwined with football. You know, my, my father uh, was, what was the inaugural year, 63? Was that the inaugural year or yeah yeah sixty five? He he oh, didn't go. He Sorry. went he went to the Hall of Fame uh, after he retired. So he retired in sixty six from his work, and he and my mother went out there to Canton and went to the Hall of Fame. Um, the uh, the thing that I remember was was just going as a kid. We would go on election day. We would go up to the to either Polo Grounds in Yankee or Yankee Stadium, depending on the year, and we would watch the Giants practice. But, of course, I didn't think at that time of um, – I wasn't collecting. You know, I, the, I think at the time think, – think if I was a collector when I was a kid, uh, if I bought into that 55 Tops All-American set. I mean, <laughs> we, he, my father probably knew half the people on that – uh, on that well, set. Probably, I, probably I, I probably could have gotten the autographs. Um, yeah. I used to be in touch with, um, I'm not sure how he's doing now, but Ken Strong's son. Wow. And, uh, I, uh, you know, my father always, it was Ken Strong who kind of knocked my father out of the backfield for the Giants, but I never heard him say a word about him. He always, in fact, he would always say he was one of the, you know, the greatest that he had the opportunity to play with is Ken Strong. And uh, Ken Strong lived not far from us in Queens, and uh, but apparently he was a good golfing buddy with Babe Ruth. And uh, one time the son was at a Boy Scout meeting, and I guess his father and the babe had been playing golf. And Ken Strong was a liquor salesman later in life, and maybe they'd been sampling too much of the yeah. product. And they showed up kind of half in the tank at this Boy Scout meeting and, and started, you know, fooling around with everybody. Naturally, it broke it completely to pieces and signed everything in sight. <laughs> yeah. Half I love that. That is absolutely great. That's a very yeah, I mean, any any meeting I mean did you know later on in life did your dad have have anyone I mean, you know, you talk about, you know, meeting, you know, Owens and I mean did anyone come over to the house or anything? I mean, you know, most most of people's stories are I happen to run into somebody you know, at an airport or a grocery store. No, you know, the the Owen family was from Kinsley, Kansas. And oh. it happened that my mother's sister lived in Kinsley. And so Steve Owen relocated to New York City. He lived in, you know, but Bill, his brother, who was a uh, a very good football player, guard on the Giants, and also later an assistant coach, and a coach in the American uh, Association for the Jersey City Giants, which was kind of a farm team for the Giants at one point. He lived still. He went back and lived in Kinsley, Kansas, and he owned a liquor store there. And uh, you know, Kansas being what it is, they was then anyway. They wouldn't let him help coach the high school football team because he owned a liquor store. So I do remember going out to Kansas and being with in the back seat of my father and Bill Owen in the front seat and Bill Owen like chewed tobacco like crazy and had a big coffee can next to him in the front seat and they're <laughs> driving down the road telling tales you know not really about football games but about escapades on the train or whatever <laughs> and uh, and him constantly spitting into this football into this uh Oh, can you know the the, uh, the coffee can? He was the one guy yeah. I met the most frequently. You know, my father kind of dropped out of the scene. In fact, um, 
I've gotten correspondence through a couple people, including Jeff Payne, uh, who uh, where the Pottsville Maroons reunion committee yeah. were trying uh-huh. to uh-huh. locate my father. And it shows all the wrong addresses that they went to. And then, uh, you know, so he was not uh, easily found. You know, the problem is there's too many Morans. And and when the and then when the NFL pension for the pre fifty niners came up, my father read about it in the paper and he called the Giants and they got put on the phone with Wellington Mara and Wellington said to him, Hap, we thought you were dead. Wow. That Is that the, that's a letter? That that's was, a letter or? No, no, he was on the phone. He, they, he, my oh, father called to find out about the pension. And so they put him through to Wellington Mayor, and, and Mr. Mayor said, we thought you were dead. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> my father wow. Was, too many yeah. Maras, or, or too, too, too many Morans. I love that phrase. Too many Morans. I guess there's too many Morans. <laughs> Mike, do you it. have a, a most wanted item left uh, relating yeah. to your father's playing days that you're looking you know, for? Great question. A, great question. There's a guy um, – there's a guy who's been trying to get team photos of every year of the New York Giants, and uh, he's gotten a number of people uh, in on his uh, project, and I'm included in it. And the uh, there's some team photos I'd love to find, like the 1932 Giants or the 1936 Patterson Panthers, which I've seen in a Spalding book, so I know there right. is one. Wow! I don't right. know about the 32. You know, I have a nice. I have the book with a picture of the 1926 Frankfurt team, but I don't have an actual photo. I've never found a Cardinals home program from 1927 uh, with him in the lineup. And I was always looking for a program from that Notre Dame car in 1922. Um, Wow. That's another very elusive thing. Uh, so th- those are those, you know, but the last couple of things I've found, I wasn't even looking for because I didn't even know they existed. Do you know what I mean? That's I mean, best. like that Notre Dame. Yeah. So that 1922 game was the first time that the um, four horsemen lined up under Rockne, and the 1930 game was the last time. That was the last time Rockne coached any Notre Dame team. Work. So I, I would like to bookend that. So, but finding the football, I didn't know that football was out there. I wasn't really looking for yeah. it. it. It just came up. And uh, well, I'm sure your dad didn't you know, make a list of everything he ever signed. You know. Yeah, I, I really. Uh, That's amazing. I, he had no list. No, he he was very yeah. much of a, a you know. So if you were to go to a, like a banquet or something and. Uh, and it would be a big event, and somebody might save the program. He'd be the guy who'd fold the program up in his pocket and throw it in the trash as he got on the subway. <laughs> yeah, he, he was I, not I, a keeper of of things. Did, were you a, a collector before your dad passed away? Did you did you ever get a chance to you know wax nostalgia with your dad and just you know hey, you know tell me about that you know tell me about the first time you stepped on the field, Dad. Tell me about the Notre Dame game. Tell me about you know, meeting the Maras. I mean, did you ever get a chance no. to appreciate I, I, no. that? No, that's sort of a, you know, uh, you know, my father would, would not, the best thing, one of the better things that happened was um, when he turned 91 years old, his record, he still held the record then for the longest run for the Giants. It had been an NFL record, but now it was still a Giants record. And it was 91 yards. So the Giants, and he was living in a nursing home, uh, just I can see it from my house. So he was, he'd been up here with us for a while and had to go in the nursing home for, after a, a surgery on his leg. So they came up, and, um, and they did like a 45-minute interview with him. And that was, that was the best bit of information I ever got about his playing days. I mean, they asked him about the 91-yard run. And, you know, he and uh, uh, Johnny Blood McNally had been teammates on the uh, 28 Pottsville team. And so his fond memory of the, of the 91-yard run was that he passed McNally twice. 
he said, uh, in the cor- <laughs> in the course of making his way down the field. And I and I you could see from the smile on his face he still felt felt the satisfaction of it. Wow. But no, we we never uh, it, it, my uh, it was all family stuff when we were together as a family. I I, I would have liked to have um uh you know actually the um what got me into looking into all this at all was that Bob Carroll from the Professional Football Researchers Association reached out to me when right. my father died and just wanted some information. And he actually knew more than I knew. I, kn- I didn't know my father played for um, the Cardinals or uh, wow. you know, the, uh, De- Pottsville. All I knew was Yellow Jackets because of a picture in a book and uh, Giants. And um, so he, and he asked me to write an article for the newsletter. And so I, I, that really got me into trying to f- – that was very much a catalyst for me digging into all this uh, deeply and making and just trying to get it right. You know, I used to I used to be I used to own a newspaper in New Jersey, and uh, <clears throat> I, I do like to get things right uh, <laughs> before they go into print, <laughs> which is not always easy. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so. That that really got me deeper, deep, much deeper into it. Was writing that article for the uh, the, the Coffin Corner newsletter. Right. Wow. And that's the for for our listeners who don't know. That's the Professional Football Researchers Association (PFRA). Uh, you can uh, do a quick Google search and it'll come up. And I I recommend if if uh, any listener is not a member, join because they have a great newsletter on uh, the history of players and the game itself. Very very good newsletter. Uh, but that, that's an incredible story, to say the least, with regards to you, being your father and really not knowing much about his playing days. That, that's amazing. Yeah. That really is amazing. Uh, well, you know, was, um, uh, i got to say, when he died, the, uh, as far as collectors contacting me, people really wanted game-used uh, uniforms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did, yeah. He, did your father yeah. have a helmet? Did he have a jersey? Did he have this yeah. or that? Yeah. Yep. And uh, that was that was the largest group of people that contacted well, me. Well, they got they got to cut those. Those, those, those were the hounds. Yeah, they must have been looking at the obituary cards. <laughs> well, you know, the, yeah, the people cool. unfortunately pour over the obituaries for ex-players of all sports, and then the first ones yeah. to contact the family right away, you do want to you know sell your your uh, loved one's collection immediately type of thing and uh you know I, I don't i'm not a big fan of that to say the least so but i can imagine mike you really got hounded with calls right after he passed because of that of his career and how unique of a career he had at the beginning of the game well, that's that's truly truly historical to say the least and can you imagine if he kept any of that stuff game jerseys or helmets i mean they're pricey. yeah no kidding yeah, those are all. Yeah, well, okay. you know, I grew up in a two-bedroom apartment in Sunnyside, Queens, where you yeah, had two yeah, yeah. two kids, and uh, <laughs> my father, and there was like four closets, and if it didn't fit in there, it went out. Uh, <laughs> which is something. Now I live. Now I have an office. I have a house. I have a four-car garage. I'm almost. I'm beginning to appreciate the wisdom of <laughs> the way they live. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was also that generation. I mean, Bob and I have talked, you know, before about, you know, I I think, you know, Carl, you know, had an article where we talked about the voracious vacuum of, you know, paper drives and, you know, of the war. Right. I just think right. part of that was ingrained in that generation, you know, that greatest generation, you know, is, you know, just less is best just to, you know, yeah, they didn't have that live in excess, you know, that we have now. So that's right. And, I talked one time to, um, on the phone with Andy Robustelli because I was looking for stuff wow. myself. I was hounding him, and I said, mm-hmm. "My father didn't keep anything." And he said, "Of course not." <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, people forget what, what he had a didn't he had a um, sporting goods store in uh, Stamford, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah. the, the story I heard was that you know the day after they the greatest game ever and they won the championship, and uh, the next morning he was in the store behind the counter. You know, it wasn't. Yep. Uh, it, 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 it was different. Yeah, exactly. To say the least. Different time and a different place. To say the least. 
Well, Mike, we're almost out of time. Thank you so much for being on uh, again and retelling the story. It's just an incredible historical story of the early game, and your father was very much a focal part of it, uh, a great yeah. player, a great legend. Uh, I, I just thank you so much for being on again and sharing it with us. And I, I do really appreciate everything you've done to preserve his name and the early game. It's uh, it's an amazing – you have an amazing collection and an amazing story, and it's, it's wonderful Good to thanks. hear. That's Thank unbelievable. You show, Rev. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> Mike Moran, and talking about his father, the legend Hap Moran. All right, we're down. Uh, we're in our goal line stance. Joe, I'm going to hand off to you. What did we learn on today's show? That generation. I just, uh, you know, I just, I love hearing those stories. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, couple. A couple guys tipping a, you know, tipping a, you know, tipping some drinks back, driving around, talking about train rides. I mean, uh, you know, the humblest living in a two, you know, two bedroom apartment. Uh, just, you know, it, you know, I've, I've, I've said this to, you know, Rev several times, and you, it's just, you know, we all are, are, you know, here we are, you know, collecting football history. You know, and there are some people out there who are football history, and you know, sometimes you get mm-hmm. close to it like that. You, you, you know, I mean, and I, I can appreciate that. You know, you know, my, my I was the same with my grandmother. She was in World War II. She never talked about World War II, you know. And mm-hmm. it was a little too, you know, I think there was one time she brought up a V-2 rocket flying over the building she was in in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, oftentimes you don't, you don't think to ask these things until people are gone. And so, I mean, I can appreciate that. You know, it's funny. It was the opposite with my father, who was in World War II, Europe. And my uncle, who was on the Pacific, I got a living history from them. They would talk about it all the time to me when I was very little. Oh, really? And as the year as the years progressed, they talked about it less and less. And I'm so fortunate I got that living history from them, uh, and I got a much greater appreciation for our military and for the war yeah. itself, and of all wars. And uh, you know, it's, I always found it interesting, which is why I find history so interesting because it is. Uh, something in the past that can be preserved. It's just truly amazing. And it's the same thing with early football history. And I always say, I know I said this before, how many programs still exist from the Uh 1920s? They're they're rare. How many programs exist from the 30s? They're rare. I don't care if they're a college program, if they're a professional program, if they're a high school program. They're tough. And they're they're very rare. And to me, they need to be preserved. And... uh, Yep, and and picked up if you find them. Listen. Yep, how many people thought to take them home instead of throwing them away? How many exactly. of them, uh, you know, survived survived uh, you know a, you know the paper drive, and how many of them survived you know mildew, mold, moths, fires, floods, uh, you yep. know, et cetera, yep. over the years? Uh, so I mean, yeah, that. Uh, I lost a couple of uncut sheets, you know, about a year ago. I had a you know condensate pump in my furnace fail, and it flooded. You know, it didn't yep. flood, just you know about you know half an inch of water. Well, I had a couple of months yep. of sheets I hadn't put away yet, and you know they got damaged. Luckily, they were in 1974, you know, so it's not, you know, not very valuable. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, think about some of the teams, you know, that Rev rattled off that his dad played for: the Steamrollers, the Maroons, right. the Cardinals, right. the Giants. Right. I mean, these are these these were you know the the bedrock of of football. I mean, that's pretty amazing. The Maroons, and the other thing, played, you know, and the other thing too, you go to a show like the National. And how many of those actual old programs do you see? You know, maybe two dealers have maybe a half a dozen yeah. programs between the two of them. And I don't understand why they're not bought on the spot. I mean, that's, that's my yeah. opinion. Good yeah, point. They're, they're rare okay. rare as far as I'm concerned. All right, we're I've got probably oh, – oh, sorry, Go I was going to say, I probably have, you know, you know, 20 or so old – pre-1900 tickets you know it's like Yale versus mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Harvard you know t- tickets I have no you know no no connection to but every once in a while I stop and think sell these but then I go wait a minute how many tickets are there you know from exactly. 1895 or so I, I have to keep yep. these I just I have to preserve this I had a Yale program a Yale Harvard program from 1920 and I had an advanced collector hound me non-stop uh, for about a year. That was the last program he needed for his collection. And oh, wow. I sold it to him. And I sold it to him at a high price because I know it was not going to be replaceable for me for a long time. But, you know, I understand yeah. the mentality of the collector. Now, we're almost out of time. Um, 
Our final wrap-up will be July, broadcasting a couple of shows. I'm hoping we're going to do one show for the National, and we're going to do one regular show, but we'll keep you posted on the website with regard to it. Joe, great show today. I, uh, I'm thankful you took time out from your walk there to, to help us out. And, uh, Hopefully the background wasn't too much. There was a, wasn't there was one point it wasn't bad. It added to the flavor. Of good iron there was one point about Don't 20 minutes where, ago where my daughter, my daughter wanted to ride on my shoulders. Like, by, no. <laughs> sponsored by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website, MSBSportsCards.com and BSD Auctions. Check out their website, BSD Auctions. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in July. Have a great day. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.